Geekville Radio. Hello, once again, all you geeks and geekettes. This is Seth, a.k.a. Xandrax, the mayor of Geekville and the host of Geekville Radio, coming at you with another episode here. We're doing episode 293, getting closer and closer to our 300th episode. I don't know if that'd be like tricentennial or something like that, but we're going to talk the free comic book day swag. We're going to talk some news about potentially characters from Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. returning. We're going to talk Suicide Squad, What If?, and fortunately, I don't have to do it alone. Coming at you from a nice, soft, padded cell in South Kakalaki, Crazy Train, Jonathan Bullock. All aboard, ladies and gentlemen. You're going to have to carry the first half because I was not able to get any free comic book stuff. But I'm sure I got some questions for you. So, oh uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. I didn't get everything that I want because you almost never do. Because nope. For those that don't participate in Free Comic Book Day, how it works is you come in, and it's exactly what. They say it is. It's free comic books. If you want to come in and get the free comic books and that's it, you're free to go. But you usually limit to three. You get three picks. And these are, of course, comics that are published and produced by publishers specifically for free comic book day. So it's it's similar to the if you go to see a movie and there's like the the, the free handout something that they that they give you. Right. It's something like right. that. When like Wendy's has like the the free Friday or something. You you still got to pay for everything else. They're going to give you a, a free small fry. You know, right. You're not going to get a large or anything like that. Or Right. It, it's something to get you in the door. And then hopefully there's something else that you get. And it, it definitely worked on me because I think I blew like 50 bucks on, on yeah, stuff it's, during, it's during mar- the day. It's a marketing scam. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Why do they have uh, ladies nights at bars? Right. Because they know, they know for every one female that they bring in and give free. Half price or free drinks too. They're going to have five guys show up, following her that are going to pay full price. <laughs> right, like, right. So the three that I got were one for Avengers, and it had uh, two short stories in it. One, it looks like they're introducing another Earth. I, I don't know. Maybe, maybe it's been an Earth that showed up uh, elsewhere, but it's it's an Earth where Atlantis never fell. So Atlantis is kind of like the main ruling body of of this Earth, and the Avengers are basically all Atlantis. Oriented, and then they got a new Masters of Evil, which looked to be kind of amalgams of different types of villains. It looks like they got a Doctor Doom that's a cross between Doom and uh, Craven the Hunter. Mm-hmm. There's a thing that looks like a cross between Green Goblin and Ghost Rider. There's a Venom that also looks a little bit Carnage-like, and these armies for the Avengers are different types of Deathlock. You know how there's been multiple Deathlocks and. Right, Marvel continuity. Right. This is like an army of Deathlocks. And I don't know if I've ever told you this, but when I first saw Deathlock, I actually kind of thought of Eddie from Iron, you know, Iron Maiden's mascot. Maybe it's just kind of the yeah, grimacing yeah, teeth. He, but, but am I wrong in saying Deathlock is basically Marvel's poor man cyborg? Yeah. Yeah, I think I think so. And the other one in the book is, is Hulk because Hulk is alive again. Because the uh, immortal Hulk was kind of zombie Hulk, for lack of a better right. term. Bruce Banner had to be killed in order for Hulk to show up. So right. now Hulk's alive again, and it looks like he's Hulk full-time. He doesn't change from Hulk to Banner. And there's a nice little knockdown drag-out with him and MODOK, only now MODOK has a, what they call Godas, giant organism designed only for smashing. And <laughs> for anybody who's 
old enough to remember the headmasters for Transformers, where it's uh-huh. like they had human-sized Transformers that would turn into the head and then pop into the giant Transformer body. That's kind of what it is. It's like it's a proportionate body for Modoc's head, if that makes any sense. So it he does. pops it. He, does. It's it's basically a mech that Modoc pops into, and now he's like proportionately sized. So of course he's huge. Modoc has become Voltron. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's it's a yeah, yeah. He forms the head, and it, it just it fits with Modoc because it's completely ridiculous, but also kind of cool. I have to ask about this title, okay? Mm-hmm. Is the gold in the title meant to be a descriptor for Avengers? Like this is a new team of like uh, Avengers gold. Or is it an adjective describing the Hulk? Is this like a gold-skinned Hulk? No, it's definitely Hulk Hulk. I, I think gold has to do with with the team. Like, there's multiple Avengers, kind of okay. like how there's multiple. I, I know so I... So this is like, like, it's like West Coast Avengers and Avengers. This is Young mm-hmm. Avengers. This is just another... It's a descriptor of the team, not of Hulk. Right, right. And right. I, I, I could be wrong about that. Obviously, I'm, I'm always open for correction. Because oh. uh, with Spider-Man, they were calling it like Silver Spider-Man or something like that. And... At first, when I think Silver Spider-Man, I think Captain Universe, but I've been out of the Spidey yeah. loop for a while. So, it I mean, it sounds I, like that old storyline where like Spider-Man got the co- power cosmic because mm-hmm. Silver Surfer. And yeah, anyway. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, but that's not what this is. This is about because the one thing I do know about Spider-Man is Venom is essentially the king of the symbiotes now. He, he, they call him King in Black. So is he bonded to any particular human or is it just the symbiote has become sentient? Well, I think what it is, is the Venom symbiote specifically has bonded with somebody else. Eddie Brock has essentially bonded with the God symbiote or the symbiote God or something of that effect. So he's... Oh, okay. He is the body inside the suit. Right. Because the original symbiote God, Null, also came from the void. I think it's the same void that gives a sentry his powers. Right, right, right. So, yeah, basically Eddie Brock is now living in space as, as a symbiote God. And I think Venom, the symbiote Venom, is on Earth looking for Eddie Brock. Of course, he's never going to find him. No, because he's out in space. Right, right. And then Spider-Man, Spider-Man fights Bushwhacker. No, not Luker Butch, because I'm pretty sure all that would happen is Luker Butch would would just lick him. But Still one of my favorite matches in my career, but I digress. (laughs) (laughs) But Spider-Man is able to beat Bushwhacker, who has, like, organic guns for hands which is kind of weird it gave me a kind of a whole what was that movie in the early 80s videodrome videodrome that's it that's it yeah i think great organic- david cronenberg movie probably yeah. better suited for an examine the dead talk but <laughs> right you know, right but yeah they're, they're, we they're have discussed like- talking body or that is body or <laughs> <laughs> yeah well there you go it turned it into a plug but it turns out that it is ben riley in the spider-man costume and it looks like he's become a mercenary of sorts so that's kind Ooh. of the, the, the tease there. I, I know they were doing the, the clone saga all over again. I don't know why, but I also, like I said, I'm behind in Spider-Man. So maybe there's an explanation for it that, that I don't know. I, I, I'm 15 years outside of the loop of Spider-Man continuity. They lost me when Carnage was going to do blood sacrifices and rituals with Hobgoblin. Remember that about 15 mm-hmm. years ago? Yeah. So, yeah. So, something like that I was kind of I was like and I'm, I'm the horror guy I was like no nah, man that, that's not Spider-Man <laughs> yeah I, I did pick up a year or two back I did pick up the Deadpool versus Carnage thing from the Absolute Carnage and it was worth uh-huh. it just to see Carnage after Deadpool made his escape and just seeing Carnage say I really hate that guy yes because <laughs> it's so Deadpool that. you know <laughs> it's so Deadpool and just he manages somehow to get Carnage to like 
shake his fist at the sky or something like that. <laughs> Deadpool! In my Colonel Clink voice. And the, the last one that I got is the Star Wars High Republic, but it's a manga. Like, it, like it's actual Japanese writers and artists. I don't know if it's based on anything going on in High Republic or if it's just its own short story. Well, but, George yeah. was heavily influenced by the Kurosawa films, yeah. so... Yep, that's Why exactly... Uh, Star Wars is a, a really good universe to work in ma- uh, manga, in my opinion. There were two that I saw that I didn't pick up or I didn't really touch. There, there was a Batman one called Fear State, which is clearly Scarecrow. And you can always have good horror with Scarecrow around. And then there was a Batman and Robin one that looked like it was a kid's book, like like the the voice and thought balloons look like they're written in crayon and stuff like that. So oh, clearly okay. something for, for little kids. So that was the extent of the free comic book swag that I was able to get. You just couldn't bring yourself around to pick it up a free DC. You got two Marvels and a Star Wars, huh? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to break you eventually. Now, as far as other news goes, it's actually been a rather light news week, but there is some news. And it. I have to admit, I don't really like sharing speculation too much on this show for obvious reasons, because I don't want to build up anybody's hopes and just have them be tossed out the window like a cigarette in a car. But there is some belief that Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. cast could be making somewhat of a comeback. Because then I'll link the two stories here. It did this from comicbook.com. And it started from Chloe Bennett, who, of course, was Daisy Johnson slash Quake in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. She had been cast in a Powerpuff Girls live action revival. I think it was supposed to be on CW. The whole idea well, she would is, be excellent at, by the way. Yeah, yeah. The whole idea behind it is that the Powerpuff Girls grow up. So it, it's kind of like if if Billy Batson grew up type type thing, right? And she had to back out simply because she quoting the other commitments or, or, or something to that effect. And somebody put two and two together and realized that hey, Secret Invasion is starting production over at Marvel. So that's not hard proof. But obviously, a lot of these actors, they signed their non-disclosure agreements, and they're not going to say what they're going to do unless it's cleared ahead of time. Right. And Chloe Bennett has also gone on record as saying she'd play Quake again in a second. You know, she, she would love right. for nothing better than for Quake to be part of the uh, ongoing MCU. Now, you add on to that, Elizabeth Henstridge, who played Gemma Simmons, she had made an Instagram post about buying a a house uh, with her uh, significant other and then said that she's living in Atlanta, but it has to go to England soon, basically implying that she's filming something. And once again, this is around the time secret invasion is, is starting up production. So it, it's people putting two and two together. And like I said, I don't want to falsely raise hopes, but Hey, it would make sense for secret invasion. If we have some ages of shield, because the main character in secret invasion is going to be, Nick Fury, Sam Jackson, and who better to join Nick Fury than the Ages of S.H.I.E.L.D. cast that we all know and love. So that's really what what I've put into it. Trent, I'd love to hear your side of this. Well, I think you're right. The speculation is take this with the largest grain of salt you could take it with. But it does seem to be interesting that there's people tend to forget when they start speculating. You need to look at contracts, like you said, with NDAs. You need to look at scheduling. And this is one where, okay, we're speculating this because the schedules line up. So this is not that different than the, the speculation we made. Was it last episode, two episodes ago, 
when Charlie Cox and Vincent D'Onofrio had to drop out of a couple of fan conventions they were committed to, and those happened to coincide with what we know is the scheduled beginning to filming of She-Hulk. So people start speculating. If for, if nothing else, it, it's something fun to talk about. Yeah. But the reason I, I take it with, with grains of salt myself personally is because, like you said, I don't want to build it up in my mind and then, then have my, my hopes dashed. Right. If it happens, great. If it doesn't, oh, well. Yeah. Yeah. And it is possible that something else is happening. It's possible that both these actresses have something that just also happens to be starting production the same time as Secret Invasion, and they're off doing that. So. It could be something as simple as the Powerpuff Girls got nixed by CW, or is they've delayed it, so it's not going to start filming for another year. Who knows? Right, 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 right. Could be. I mean, I, mean, I don't want to speculate anything. Maybe Hendrix is pregnant, and she mm-hmm. just doesn't want to go public with it, and that's why she's... You understand yeah. what I'm saying? The, the, yeah. Basically, what you're saying is there's a million reasons why they could be preparing for something and not telling anybody. Exactly. Right. But it is another interesting thing that wasn't brought up is Elizabeth Hendricks just just bought a house in Atlanta. Mm-hmm. Well, we know Disney's filming all these stuff in, in and around Atlanta and in Georgia. So that yeah. that's interesting, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. And the thing about going to England is I believe a lot of the MCU proper stuff is being filmed in England. So Oh, is uh, it? I thought it was st- thought they were still f- no, they're filming the series in Georgia. Right. Like Falcon Winter Soldiers. Yeah, stuff, I think right? I think I think that's how it is. Yeah. And, and Atlanta is just a, a big, it, it's almost like a Hollywood light or a Hollywood, whatever you would call it. It has, become, it has become the Hollywood of the East Coast, much more so than New York. It's cheaper to film there. And weather, you, you get good weather most of the years round. Yep. I mean, and, and, and we know that <laughs> Hollywood, and I use that term loosely, I, I say it more as a term for just the entertainment industry, mm-hmm. can make cities like Atlanta or Vancouver or Toronto look like New York, Chicago, or L.A. if they want to, because they have. Right. right. All right. So that, again, don't want to raise up too many hopes, but that definitely looks like it could be two and two being put together. So, all right, we're going to take a break, and when we come back, we're going to dive into our review of the Suicide Squad movie that came out last week. This is Geekville Radio, and we will be right back. Are you looking for a gaming-themed podcast? Check out You Just Got Fragged. Join host Jared Aubrey and his panel of gaming enthusiasts as they discuss news and accomplishments in the gaming world and, of course, the gripe of the week. That's all at YouJustGotFragged.com, part of the Wrestling Brethren podcast family. All right, we are back and we are going to talk Suicide Squad. Do you want to go ahead and wave the spoiler flag now? That is a very good idea. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. So Suicide Squad came out last week. And as we talked about in our last episode, it, it, it's gotten something like a 95, 96% of approval rating, at least as far as Rotten Tomatoes goes. And if you are familiar with James Gunn and you knew that this movie was going to be given its hard R rating, uh, I think we basically got exactly what we were expecting. Is that is that fair to say? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Before we get getting breaking it down, I've mm-hmm. heard the numbers as far as receipts were not speculated. I don't know if that's just haters online hating. What I don't know what the numbers are. Do you have those available in front of you? Jeff? I'm getting them in in front of me. I seem to recall it made something like twenty or thirty 
million its opening weekend. Uh, so less than Black Widow for sure. Oh yeah, yeah, definitely. Now part of that, yeah, it was it was twenty six million opening weekend for Suicide Squad. Now part of that, I'm sure, is that it was on HBO Max. Right. I, I, the, the fact that it's on HBO Max with no extra charges is like what we were talking about with Black Widow when the uh, was it released in the theater concurrently? Yes. Yeah, with Suicide okay. Squad, it, at least I think it was in the States. I don't know about internationally, but I know that in the States, it was playing on HBO Max and in theaters at the same time. That's something Warner Brothers had announced at the beginning of, I believe, I believe it was the beginning of this year. It might have been late last year if they started doing that. Now, I did see some news. I'll, I'll find it and link it in the show notes as well at geekvilleradio.com slash 293 that I believe they are ending that next year. They got a, a deal right. worked out right. with, I think it's Regal Cinemas or something like that, where right. they're going to be, uh, might be AMC, where their they're, they're, stuff is going to go back to theater exclusively for the first few weeks. Well, if you want to entertain me for a second, I'd like to get on my soapbox about this particular topic. And really, it's been pushed by my, my, my love of the professional wrestling world and not making excuses for the ratings that all the major promotions are making on television right now, which of course are AEW and WWE. But I think that no matter how far ahead of the curve, a lot of reviewers and people are, younger people are understanding technology, even they are a bit guilty to a certain extent. And definitely the people that are making the business decisions, which are using an older generation, like our age or older, with the rapid, and I do emphasize rapid, developments and and move forward in streaming services, multitudes of varying types of forms of entertainment that are available now readily and easily and inexpensively available to everybody to look at the box office receipts and ratings and numbers like that and compare them to what was just five, 10 years ago is not the thing to do. It just, you can't. Things have changed that dramatically that quickly. For pandemic aside, well, move all the craziness of the last year and a half away. There's just more stuff out there, more ways to entertain yourself and, and things to choose from as a consumer. And when there were only a limited number of options on how to entertain yourself, they were just naturally going to have more eyes on it. And I think that everybody, from the young people to the older people haven't really realized that yet, that as awesome as the MCU did, and I, and I don't want us to lessen our, our expectations on anything. Okay. But I think that, that, that say, well, this didn't do what black Panther or Endgame or civil war did. Well, yeah, because there was as many options just set five, six years ago as when those movies came out. Now you're just, you're splitting up the, the entertainment dollar more ways. And so I think the studios and reviewers need to understand that when they start making comments about, well, this is what the box office receipts. They're just right. not going to be the same anymore. They're just not because it's changed that much. I mean, I've said as much before on, on other episodes, but I mean, Black Widow and the Suicide Squad, which are both movies I think everybody expected to be big hits, didn't do bad. They're nothing to sneeze at, but they were both considered a disappointment financially, which another topic for another time we could debate this later it also begins to make you wonder are studios especially major studios going to start signing off on these hundreds of million close to billion dollars to make films knowing that that they're not going to get a return on their investment anymore right makes you wonder right and you brought up wrestling as an example like i can 
give another wrestling example that you and I know very well, and you don't have to look too far into the history books to find it. The most watched wrestling match in America in the history of time is Hulk Hogan versus Andre the Giant in, I think it was February of 1988. I saw that match. It was one of the first wrestling matches I saw in its entirety at the time. Mm -hmm. And just for historical purposes, that was the match where Andre the Giant pinned, quote unquote, Hulk Hogan for the world title. And they had the twin brother referee and the whole, the whole nine yards with that. Right. Great storytelling, uh, but I yes. digress. <laughs> yeah. It was something like 32, 33 million people. You look at the top show on TV right now, whatever's burning up the numbers on, on TV, that's not even close to 30 million. You know, you, right. so many broadcast TV would kill to get probably one quarter of that number. So and let's compare 88 to, to now. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You had four broadcast networks. I think Fox had just started. I think so. You know, yeah. Five, if you want to count PBS, but I don't count it. Probably what? 25, 30 cable stations, maybe. Right. right. No streaming. Pay-per-view was very limited. It wasn't like you just clicked on a box now and video on demand like you have now. Right. It right. was special no. special events, concerts, wrestling shows, boxing shows. That was yeah. it. No, no UFC. This idea of, of like the NFL and Major League Baseball having dedicated cable networks to particular, that didn't exist. There just wasn't that many things pulling people. Right, right. Unless you were really crafty with knowing how to program a VCR, which mm -hmm. wasn't exactly the most user-friendly thing. Because I remember those days. I remember trying to program that thing. and was not fun. Right. was not fun. And then that's also uh, assuming that somebody in your house didn't decide you just watch something else while your show was being and recorded. screw up all your hard work. <laughs> right. You had to be right there at that time, at that minute, to watch that episode. I don't know how many times I came home five minutes late from playing outside and I missed the first five minutes of Dukes of Hazard and I thought the world had ended because I didn't get to see right. the introduction. Our, our well, listeners understand what That, I, that what is I'm a saying. crime. You didn't hear whether well, Jen didn't see him. <laughs> You're right, right. But I hopefully, well, listeners are understanding what, what I'm getting at here. Just it, it was such a different time. You had to be right then and there at that time to watch something. It's not something you could just put on a DVR or schedule or something, or is ordered up in a streaming service no, no, whenever you want. Right, exactly. And so I just think that Hollywood really, really, really needs to rethink what they term a success at the box office now. Because trying to compare it to the numbers that you were just getting six, seven years ago is not a fair comparison. Mm -hmm. And like I said, another discussion for another time is if this trend continues, which I think it's going to, they're business people. They're going to stop putting the money into making these big, huge tentpole popcorn movies because there's not going to be a return on the investment. So I do apologize. Oh. I didn't mean to go off the rails uh, with those numbers there, but let's, let's dive into the review here. Uh, like I said, if you, if you knew you were getting a hard R and you knew you were getting James Gunn, I think we got pretty much exactly what we were expecting. Because if you've seen Guardians of the Galaxy or you've seen other James Gunn movies, you know that he really likes putting that eclectic soundtrack into things. Mm -hmm. And as soon as I heard the beginning of Folsom Prison Blues, you know, I'd say it had me at hello, or as I like to say, uh, had me at hello, I'm Johnny Cash. <laughs> yes, the live, the live <laughs> version gave the monster number one hit, not the original right. studio version. <laughs> right. And you also got, because I remember telling somebody in my family about this, about this, about how the opening shot is Michael Rooker as a savant bouncing that ball in his, in his cell. And then you see this cute fluffy little birdie you land in the cell corner and she was like yeah okay stop i know what's happening i know i know where you're going <laughs> well 
on the soundtrack thing, is there any more eclectic yet better director at picking cool soundtrack movie than I'd say there's four or five guns in that group. Quentin mm-hmm. Tarantino is definitely in that group. Tyke. Tyke is really good. Sam Raimi's really good. Mm-hmm. They, they just have very, very unique things that they want to put in their soundtracks. And it always is fun. Second point about the, the ball bouncing thing mm-hmm. inside a prison. That's James Gunn showing he's actually a, 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 historian because that's a direct reference to the steve mcqueen character from the great escape bouncing the ball to pass time in the in the prisoner of war camp oh okay and that was the the richard attenborough movie right i think richard attenborough richard, oh, everybody's in that movie richard attenborough yeah. james garner donald pleasance steve mcqueen yes yes great great yeah. one of my favorite motorcycle movies of all that, time yeah which by the way was based on a true story about a bunch of british and canadian pow's Building a tunnel system, unbeknownst to the to the Nazis, and using them to escape. But anyways, I digress. Great. If you haven't seen it, I know we're talking to the Suicide Squad. Look up The Great Escape, one of the best yeah. war movies ever made. Anyway, yeah, absolutely. So now I think the biggest surprise for the film is that they didn't tell us that there were actually kind of two Task Force X's or two Suicide Squads, mm-hmm. and one of them just gets wiped out right in the beginning. Right. Because I, I admit, when I was watching the trailers for it uh, and the stuff in commercials, I actually got Nathan Fillion's character confused with Peacemaker. Because when you sip in the Mr. Pib, I guess he just kind of looked like John Cena. And I can't remember what the character's name is in the in the combo, but it's not TDK. It's not the detachable kid. It's, um, oh, I can't remember what his name. But it was that strange time in the 70s, early 80s, where they were coming up with just really stupid characters in D.C., and mm-hmm. I, knowing James Gunn's sense of humor, he's going to tap into those characters. There was like the, there was a, another character. He was, he, he could eat anything and digest it. That was his superpower. Um, really? What, they call him a goat or something? Goat man? Yeah. yeah <laughs> no, no. It was something like the, I can't remember. I did, that's it just was, my joke. It's just goats seem to be able to eat anything. <laughs> oh, yes, they will. They are nature's garbage disposal. There's no doubt about yeah. that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. My grandmother's farm had two goats on it. So I, I see what they eat. Oh, everything. Yeah. <laughs> everything. You'll be Break it off, son. But uh, <laughs> but uh, I was trying to remember some, some of the characters because that, that's where Captain Boomerang was. So they killed off one of the characters in the previous movie. Uh, mm-hmm. Blackguard was Pete Davidson from Saturday Night Live. I, I didn't recognize that character. TDK, I think uh, I got confused with one of the... I think, wasn't there a Captain Marvel that was on a, a, a third-party thing where that was his whole gimmick was he could detach his yeah, limbs? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we talked about that in our Captain Marvel episode a couple of years back. Javelin, I didn't recognize either, although that might have been, wasn't, was there a Javelin in an old version of the JSA, I want to say, or? Yeah, I think so. I think there was a, like an Olympic level athlete Javelin thrower and, and became a bad guy. I can't remember. Okay. And, I mean, and I, know I'm the D, I know I'm the DC guy, but I mean, mm-hmm. Gunn's really doing a deep dive, really doing a deep dive on some right. of the characters. Yeah. And because uh, you had noticed a character that I completely missed, uh, what was it, Calendar Man, I want to say? Yes. There's a scene that Sean Gunn, who, of course, is in all of James Gunn's movies because he's his brother. Right. He was also Weasel in role. this one, I believe. Yeah. Yeah. He was Weasel. He was he's the one that did the mo capture for that. But Calendar Man is a serial murders on particular holidays. And his he became more than just kind of a small character when he was. Essentially, the Hannibal Lecter character in the Long Halloween, the Matricelli storyline that was so popular okay. about 
20 years ago. Yeah, I know the He's story. I didn't read it from beginning to end, but I know the story you're talking about. Right, which then involves a, a killer who is also killing uh, Gothamites on holidays. Holiday, I think was his a, name, yeah. Yeah, Holiday was the name, using a pistol with a baby pacifier as a silencer. And Batman approaches Julian, counterman, who is incarcerated in a, an Arkham Asylum for assistance and figuring out who this is. So he, he essentially plays the, like I said, like the Hannibal Lecter role. The, the, mm-hmm. He is Batman's Clarice to Hannibal's, you get what I'm saying, right? Yeah, yeah. So definitely. that kind of made him popular again. He has a very, very fun little side role in the Arkham series video games. But yeah, you didn't even know who he was. He was the one right. in the scene when they're showing the prison, showing Bell Riv, and he's a bald headed convict who has tattoos or like a halo tattooed around his, his head. If you get in close, you'll realize those are the months of the calendar. Uh, okay. What the tattoos are. They're like May, June, July. Yeah. yeah. So. Okay. Well, yeah, they, they all kind of get wiped out in the early minutes uh, of the movie. And then the rest of the movie is where the real task force X is headed by Bloodsport. I, I can't help but think that they use Bloodsport because they, for whatever reason, didn't get Will Smith again. Um, I, I think that was done on purpose. I think James Gunn was mad that Will Smith didn't want to come back for whatever Will Smith's reasons were. So he just went into DC and found a character that just happened to be the same power set as Will Smith and cast as, as Idris Deadshot, Elba basically, yeah. and sit, this is essentially a big middle finger to Will Smith. I really mm-hmm. think it was. Yeah. Um, and the way I was explaining it to my friends is, hey, if they want to cast somebody who could believably shoot Superman with a kryptonite bullet, well, Idris Elba is a pretty good cast yeah. for that. You know? <laughs> but the other ones were John Cena's Peacemaker, which we know was an old, uh, he was a, what, what a Charlton? Yeah, yeah, it was Carlton. It's Carlton character. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Ratcatcher, and then probably dare I say, probably the biggest mainstream character out of that was probably King Shark because he's been in Flash every now and then. Certainly in the Flash TV show. Right. Uh, King Shark is a fairly regular member of the incarnations of the Suicide Squad in the comics. Okay, yeah, because I know there was a King Shark Suicide Squad. I think it was a solo thing for Free Comic Book Day. I just I, I slipped my mind at the top of the show, but yeah, there was a King Shark thing for. Comic book day, well, Rat Ratcatcher, they completely changed backstory. Uh, this is actually Ratcatcher 2. The first Ratcatcher is actually a Batman minor villain who was a guy named Otis. Uh, what is this? What is his last name? Well, I cannot think of his last name, real name, but he develops the ability to communicate with rats because he was a sewer worker, and that's where he developed the ability. During the OMAC storyline, which is the same storyline that had Batman leaving the Justice League and starting the Outsiders because he finds out that Zatanna did a mind wipe on him. It has to do with the Sue and Ralph Dibney and Sue being raped and, and all mm-hmm. that. And it's also the same storyline that had Wonder Woman breaking the neck of Max Lord on national television. That storyline. At the beginning of that storyline, the OMAX actually killed the first rat catcher, Otis. Oh, okay. And his his daughter rises up to become the new rat catcher using her father's abilities and tech here. They made them Portuguese instead of Gothamites. And I thought it was interesting that they cast once again, I didn't, I didn't know he was in the movie Tiki Waititi as the original rat catcher as her father Mm -hmm. in the flashback scene. I heard that he was in it. I guess I just forgotten because when he showed up, because he only has like about a, a 20 second scene, I think. 
where it's a couple, but they're all flashback scenes. He's dead. Yeah. But I thought the casting was done very well with all of that. Cena's perfect for for Peacemaker because he's kind of like the anti Captain America. They they sum it up. I mean, I'm not really familiar with. Captain America was a douche. (laughs) Right. Right. I don't really know of the Peacemaker from from the comics, but I'm assuming they're just kind of making fun of the super tough, not vigilante, but I think you get what I mean, like the super cop or the super beat all the bad guys and save the day and kiss the babies and all that. Uh, That It Ah. seemed like they were parodying that to me. Yes. And the original rat catcher in the comics, I just looked it up, was Otis Flanagan. Oh, okay. But the look as far as the gas mask, that is the rat catcher look. So they didn't Mm -hmm. stick to that, even if he changed the backstory a little. Yeah. Now, there are two main villains. Oh, you you forgot one one of the other members. Oh, who's that? Polka Dot Man. Oh, yeah, of course. Jeez. How could I have forgotten that? Once again, you've got Harley, Polka Dot Man, Rat Catcher. I understand he has a great rogues gallery, but boy, when they do these movies and these TV shows, they lean heavily on Batman villains, don't they? Yeah. Yeah, it seems that way. Now, there were two main villains in the film. Uh, there was a thinker, of course, played by Peter Capaldi. Very different. I think it's even a different name than the one we were seeing in The Flash. I think the one Capaldi well, there's was playing, been like I want to say, was the... three or four thinkers in the comics. So. Right, Go right. Figure. Yeah, and I, I think this was more like the, the first one, I want to say, in the comics. Mm-hmm. I honestly can't help but think he got that role because whether it was Gunn or whoever else was it was a Doctor Who fan, they thought, okay, let's take Doctor Who and just make him crazy <laughs> and make him a bad guy. <laughs> 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 kind of make him like a villain. That. Yeah. And then, of course, there was that South American country, Corto Maltese, with, that was being overrun by this regime. Sorto Maltese, you know, you know how DC likes to make fictional cities and stuff. Star they City, do it in Marvel yeah. too, like La- La- Laveria, Asteroid M, Wakanda. DC does it more often. Corto Maltese is a common war-torn area country that is a common fictional location in DC. If you remember the 1989 Jack Nicholson, Michael Keaton, Tim Burton Batman, mm-hmm. if you remember the Vicky Vale character had just returned from doing a photographic journal of the war going on in Corto Maltese. That okay. is where she's yeah. just come from and the pictures that she's taken there impress Bruce on their first date. Yeah. So yeah, and I think that's the same thing where Joker's going through and going, crap, crap, crap. And then he sees the violent yeah, stuff and that that's when he's right, right. Yeah. Yeah. He's like, oh, this is yeah, exactly. The blood, the skulls. Yes. So that's Corto Maltese. So it's it has a long history in DC. That area does, that fictional country. So, of course, the heroes have the, or I shouldn't say the heroes, uh, the characters have their mission to infiltrate a facility known as Jotunheim, which, yes, that's a North mythology reference. Land of the Frost Giants. Yes, that's where Loki is originally from. (laughs) Right, right. And there's a Project Starfish. And if you're clever and have seen enough of the trailers, you knew that Starfish was Starro. I didn't. I did, but as soon as I heard Project Star Wars, I just said, oh, they're going with Star Wars. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and again, it kind of fits with James Gunn to take some of the goofiest characters and put them on the big screen and somehow have it work. But also, once again, being a student of history, this time of comic books, not film, for those that don't know, Star of the Conqueror was the villain that was such a big threat to our, our planet that in the original Justice League, comics in 1963 that's the villain that's the one it's so it's such a threat that it unites superman batman wonder woman green lantern so a little wake wake to that and like we said the hard r there's enough f-bombs to fill an entire season of the sopranos but you know me by now i'm 
basically a PG-13 guy. I guess it's just, I'm just wired that way. But right. I know this is graphically violent, full of bad language, all that. I knew it going in, but I still enjoyed it. Certainly there's other superhero movies that, I, that I've enjoyed better, but I gave it probably a grade of about a B. And some of that's probably just because... You know, the, the over-the-top violence stuff is is not really my thing, but what, what would you say as far as a grade, or is there anything that jumped out at you as far as what uh, you liked about it? I give it a, I, I'd probably give it a B, B minus. It, it, it's uh, much like you. I don't think it's the strongest DCEU entry, mm-hmm. but I don't think it's the worst. So far, the worst I've seen is, is and I hate to say it because I love Black Mask and Ewan McGregor was probably Birds of Prey. That was horrible. Mm-hmm. And I do think that there were a lot of things to like and a lot of things not to like about Wonder Woman 1984. In 1984, I liked it. I just liked the first one better. Right. I loved the first one until the the final act. Love Shazam. Shazam is probably my favorite DC film. Mm-hmm. I can see that. Film. Was never a big fan of Man of Steel, but I know that the, the people who like it are very passionate about it. But I, after seeing this film, I do not think Suicide Squad is a property that, that Warner Brothers are going to return back to in film. Just my opinion. I think you had said in our off mic to me that you kind of felt like going into this, that your feelings had been brought to about to be true, was that this was essentially a, a do-over. Yeah. Some were calling it a reboot, but I think somebody I, I read described it as a, yeah, we're just redoing the first one, but better. Now, I think there's always going to be a place for Amanda Waller in a, in a broader DC universe. And I think Viola Davis does a fine job. I do think because of how good John Cena was as Peacemaker, and we already know he's getting his own HBO Max show based on the character, that yep. he's going to return. I think if you can convince Sylvester Stallone to come back and do the voice, King Shark will always have a play. And we know, we know Margot Robbie's Harley Quinn ain't going nowhere. She's right. a, definitely ensconced in the DCEU, and Harley is one of their most popular characters and most well-known characters. So she's not going anywhere. Yeah. I, th- I think she has said that she doesn't know if or when she'll be playing the character again, but I think there's enough appeal of the character there that if there's not a Harley standalone movie, she's going to show up sooner or later, eventually in one of the other bat movies. Right. Right. So just because they don't go back to suicide squad, doesn't mean I see some of these characters disappearing from the broader DCEU. I might not have liked it as much as you, which is weird because I'm a guy that has no problems with graphic violence and bad language. <laughs> Take that for what it's worth. I'm also the DC guy. Maybe that's why I'm, it wasn't as high for me because I am the DC guy, so I have a little bit more emotional investment in these characters than you do. I don't know. That, that That's probably safe you know, to say. I, I, I would have to say probably my favorite sequence, at least from an entertainment standpoint, because it, it was when it seemed like uh, Bloodsport and Peacemaker was were having this ongoing pissing contest, you could say, about kills kind of like legolas and gimli and lord of the rings but except for body count it's like the gore and brutality of the kill it's also not just just quantity quality (laughs) right right so you know they're usually like exploding bullets and you see guys get you the top half blown off or something like that and it's done blood sport at one point like the guy's in a bathtub and he shoots an like a tv into the bathtub to electrocute him instead of shooting (laughs) right (laughs) yeah stuff like that but but, but, but the payoff to that was what i found enjoyable that they're going in ostensibly to save Rick Flag, who they thought's been captured. He had been captured. He was in he was in a, a this resistance's camp who he was making friends with. They're like, oh, we just killed all the good guys. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They just killed all the people who had just basically saved him. <laughs> so. Right. Which I, and that is the other thing too. I am a little shocked, Javelin and you know, Savant, those characters. I get you killing them off. They're tertiary characters at best of comics. 
But I was a little shot that they killed off Captain Boomerang and Rick Flagg, especially Captain Boomerang. Definitely, we know there's going to be a Flash movie, and Captain Boomerang is he's right up there on Flash's Rogues Gallery. So, right, kind of, kind of shocked that they did. I and mean, I'm not a big Jai Courtney fan, but I thought he did pretty good with his take on that role. And I really was shocked. And I think Joel Kinnaman, RoboCop remake aside, I think Joel Kinnaman's a good actor. And how cool of a name is Rick Flagg? Oh, heck yeah. Heck yeah. And you kill off Rick Flagg, and I get it. I understand storytelling. You have this nice character development where he's bonding with Bloodsport, and you realize that they're former war buddies. And so what's better to tug the heartstrings than have that kind of emotional investment in the character and then kill him off? I get that, right? Mm Mm-hmm. But I thought there was a nugget of something that could go somewhere with that character. And then again, this could be a thing like you look at Joaquin Phoenix's Joker. That is produced by Warner Brothers and falls under those auspices, but it's not canon in the rest of that. Mm-hmm. Maybe this is going to be not canon. Who knows? They did tease in the mm-hmm. post credit scene with, with Peacemaker still being alive. And, and maybe they could do something like that with Rick Flagg. I'm not expecting it. I always took that post credit scene as more of a setup for the television show. Because right. I didn't even know that post-credit scene existed. You had to tell me. I had to go back and watch it. I mm-hmm. stopped during the mid-credit scene, which was comedic, where Weasel actually isn't dead. <laughs> yeah. He, <laughs> you know? he, he was just sleeping for like the entire movie, essentially. Yeah. Pretty much. Or, or unconscious or something. But I always read that post-credit scene as this was just their out to set up the John Cena vehicle that is going to be the Peacemaker series on HBO Max, which I believe drops, what, like January of 2022? Yeah. Pretty yeah, quick. I think, I think it's a few months away. And I, I think the scene in it that was probably the most like something I would have done if I were doing comedic beats in a, in a movie was when after Harley killed the usurper, would I forget the guy's name, but he was essentially kind of the right. the new general mm-hmm. or new president or whatnot. Right, right. And then Rick Flagg and Peacemaker and Bloodsport are showing up and she's just walking up like, wait, what guys? It's like, oh, oh, we were going to rescue you. We, we we had this whole plan thought out. <laughs> and she says, uh, well, I could go back inside and you could still uh, do it. <laughs> I figured your favorite scene would be the first time that the Argus base, who are watching everything in the command center, so to speak, and they see Starro for the first time. And the guy yells, we're going to kite you up in this bitch. Yeah, I figured that, <laughs> that would was be the pretty scene good, that yeah. you'd love. Because <laughs> I've heard people say they hated the special effects on Starro. And I said, I think they were meant to look cheesy on purpose. Right. Because it's, it's a character think, from the 60s, like you said. I think this was intentionally done by James Gunn because of the ridiculousness of what Starro the Conqueror is. I do not think this was a situation like the original theatrical cut of Justice League where it just seems like they didn't invest the money in good CGI. I think that was the intent. It was supposed mm-hmm. to look ridiculous and silly. I mean, it, it's a giant walking starfish. It, it's going to look silly. right? And as far as those that don't know, the idea of like little smaller starfish clamping on people's faces like face huggers from the Alien series with the one eye, that's straight out of the comics. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Starro's power is like a psionic type power where think the board from Star Trek, he basically creates a hive mind. That's what he does. That's his power. So didn't they even use Starro in one of the animated DC movies where oh, probably. Starro think- attacks all the Justice League and the Teen Titans have to fight him? I think it's like uh, Just League vs. Teen Titans or something. Yeah, r- rings a bell. I, I haven't seen it. I, I think there might have even been a reference to him in the Justice League animated series from the, the early 2000s, but I'd have to go back and confirm that. Mm-hmm. Oh, he's and, a, Star Wars an Easter egg in one of the DLCs for Batman Arkham Origins. 
It's called A Matter of Family, and it's a story about Barbara Gordon Batgirl and Tim Drake Robin having to go rescue Commissioner Gordon from Harley and Joker, who have him on an old oil rig that was converted into a uh, music park that is now abandoned. And they were told if Batman shows up, though, he was going to kill Gordon. Joker just wants to mess with Batgirl and Robin. That's why, right? Mm-hmm. But there's an Easter egg in there where you can blow up an explodable wall or move a vent and you crawl in this hidden room and there's Starro. Huge. Like you see him in the movie. Not all the way big, like kaiju size, but remember the scenes earlier where he's like big in the tank? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That was one of those scenes. If you're a big DC fan, you knew who it was. If you did, you're like, what the hell is this? Giant starfish. Mm-hmm. With one eye. Yeah. yeah. So anyway. So yeah, we both liked it. If you haven't seen it by now and you can handle a lot of violence and a lot of bad language in your movies, I would definitely recommend uh, seeing it. I, I, it I think most people can. I think you're in the minority there. That's the majority. But right. I, I appreciate you give that caveat out. <laughs> right. All right. We're going to take one last break here. And when we come back, we're going to talk Marvel's What If. We're going to review the first episode, and then we're going to talk the potential titles and stories of the next about half a dozen episodes. This is Geekville Radio, and we will be right back. Attention all time lords and ladies. This message is being sent by Lady President Romana and the High Council of Gallifrey. Geekville Radio presents Examining the Doctor. Join Mark and Seth as they bring their signature blend of knowledge and humor about everybody's favorite time lord, the Doctor. From Hartnell to Whitaker, Examining the Doctor provides episode commentaries for favorite and not-so-favorite Doctor Who stories. Available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, GeekGoRadio.com, or wherever podcasts can be found. All right, we are back. Last segment of the show here. We are talking Marvel's What If, which made its debut a few days ago, basically last Wednesday, as of this recording. And the first episode dealt with the premise of Steve Rogers failing to get the super soldier serum put into him. And as a result, Peggy Carter becomes the first super soldier and thus becoming Captain Carter. And as far as the premise goes, I think it went exactly like how we'd expect. She was with the shield. She's got the howling commandos behind her. A lot of the voices were the same. I think the only Two voices that I noticed that were different were Steve Rogers was not Chris Evans, and I don't think Red Skull was Hugo Weaving. They got voice actors it that was. basically could match. They got, no, they got Ross Marquand, the same guy that played the role in, in those cameos on the Soul oh, okay. Stone in the Infinity okay. So it's, it's essentially the same guy. The guy that played Steve definitely, I think, kind of voice matched Chris Evans. Chris Evans, because it was, especially when he said Brooklyn, like he said Brooklyn, like the exact same way that Chris Evans would. But everybody else, Toby Jones, uh, Haley Atwell, Dominic Cooper, these are all the same people. Right, right. And right down to Neil McDonough as a Dum Dum Dugan. Yep. Sebastian Stan was voicing Bucky. What I found fascinating, we've already waved the spoiler here mm-hmm. earlier in this episode, is that this also was the creation of this variant universe's Iron Man. Right. And and the way they told that story, I really, really liked this story because I think that there's always the fear by a certain segment of the fans to say, oh, you're just going to basically do a gender swap by making it Peggy. And they didn't. I think Peggy maintained all of her traditional mm-hmm. femininity in even after she took the super shoulder serum, especially the 1940s idea of what a traditional 
female was. She even retained that. And the fact that there was still a romance that blossomed between Steve and Peggy, even though Steve wasn't all big and jacked up now, which I think makes sense. When you add that into the fact that Steve becomes a hero with what they call the Hydra Smasher or Hydra Stomper or something like that. Yeah, yeah, I think it was was Hydra Stomper. Howard creates as opposed to Tony. It's once again driving home this fact that you and me have talked about this multiple times. Steve Rogers is the hero. The man is. Not Mm -hmm. the super soldier serum. It's just another way of telling Steve Rogers as a man, as a hero, he just isn't empowered, so he needs something to help him be that hero. In the original, it's super soldier. And here it's it's the it's the tech. It's, it's the mech suit. Right. Doesn't matter. He still is willing to risk his life to do the right thing. Because mm-hmm. Steve Rogers, as a man, is a hero. He's a good person. Right. And when you throw in the fact that Peggy is attracted to him for who he is, not that he's all buffed, I think gives depth to one drives on the fact that Steve's a good person too, gives depth to her character. Right. She's just not some woman swooning over this guy who's jacked up now. She yeah. sees beyond the physical appearance for who he really is. I, to and, me, I think what really is the moment when you watch the original Captain America First Avenger movie, I think the scene that impresses her the most, aside from maybe when he jumped on the grenade, but it was that capture the flag thing where everybody's trying to climb up the flag and Steve just walks yep. up and knocks the bottom down of the flag. Like my old football coach said, work smarter, not harder. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think that's kind of the scene that you could see where Peggy's like, hey, is this guy smart? Yep. Another thing I liked about this one is Bucky still, quote unquote, dies. So there's a dangling carrot there if they want to come back and, and look at a different take on Winter Soldier. I did not know going into this, maybe you did, that the Watcher was essentially going to be the narrator, which I thought was a nice touch. Right. Because it's basically that in the comic series as well even yes, though they're all yes, standalone it is. Watson, issues, Watson yeah. is, he is your crypt keeper rod serling whatever you want you know what i'm saying mm-hmm. and and i don't know who the voice actor was they got to play watu but i thought it was very fitting yes. watu should have obviously they used voice modulation and a mix board to give him a more imposing sounding voice but i thought it matched it well yeah, yeah i agree so we're both thumbs up on that debut Yep, and these are going to drop in every Tuesday. It's uh, Wednesday, every it? Wednesday, I believe. It's the same thing that they, that they did with Loki. And they have hinted that some of these episodes are going to be referenced in Phase 4 movies, probably most notably, I would assume, being Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. Yeah, Watu makes it very clear in the first one, there is a multiverse, and that these are alternate universes. And th- there is a rumor out there that Haley Atwell is going to play Captain Carter in a cameo in Doctor Strange. So we will definitely wait for that. Now, here are, I don't know if these are titles or if they're just premises or what, but the other episodes of What If, there are nine episodes listed here. And I'll put it up there at geekforradio.com slash 293 for the notes. And then I also got maybe what we think could be the premise for it. Obviously, episode one was Captain Carter. Episode two is listed as T'Challa Star-Lord, which seems to imply that T'Challa goes up into space instead of Peter Quill. Does that, does that sound? Mm-hmm. I wonder if that means, oh, what's his name? Michael Rooker character. wonder if he kidnaps, sconces T'Challa as a boy and takes him into space and raises him around the Ravengers. Possible? Okay. Yeah. And I would assume this would mean either Killmonger or M'Baka would become 
Black Panther then. But, Probably. Uh, yeah. Episode or three. Series. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Good idea there. And that also, my understanding is that's the the final performance of uh, Chadwick Boseman. That's the voice work he did yeah. for that. He was, they were, yeah, they were able to get his voice stuff done before he sadly passed away. Yeah. Episode three is listed as Loki Invasion, which my hunch is if Loki had won the first Avengers movie, because of course he was kind of leading the Chitauri into that New York invasion. Mm. Yep. Or maybe somehow he's able to pick up Mjolnir instead of Thor. Episode four, Doctor Strange Supreme. The only thing I can think of, and it would be totally un-Doctor Strange-like, would be like him essentially trying to ensure that he's Sorcerer Supreme and ruling over other people. I I don't know. That doesn't sound like Stephen Strange to me. You, you sure but, that's not a crossover, pro, cross-promotional tie-in with like Pizza Hut or something? <laughs> well, that would be interesting. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Try the Doctor Strange Supreme, hand or traditional. (laughs) Reminds me of the old Marvel role-playing game in the early 80s, (laughs) where some of it would be told in character, and one of them, when it comes to magic, Doctor Strange is the person that's teaching you magic, and he demonstrates low-end magic to make a pot of tea. And then he has a line of, yeah, yeah, trying to conjure up magic to make a pot of tea is like using a bazooka to kill roaches. It's overkill. Mm. But episode five... Party Thor. The only thing I can think of for that, just my thought, is maybe Thor just starts enjoying being mortal and just kind of enjoys partying. I don't, I, I'm, I'm not sure. Uh, oh, well, maybe, or maybe it could be overweight PTSD Thor. Yeah. Bruce and Rocket aren't able to convince him to join. Or right. it could be Thor never losing his stuff with his dad and just continues to be the party boy with the Warriors 3 and Lady Sif and never, never gets, gets sent to Earth out by and, yeah. Odin to Humble. Okay. I could see that. Killmonger and Tony, that sounds like maybe Tony mentors Killmonger instead of Spider-Man. That's the only thing I could think of. I've actually, I, I can, I, yeah, I've actually seen a scene from this one where I think they're going to go is in the scene in the first Iron Man where, you know, he's hit by the Jericho or whatever his tech is that causes him to have the little shards that then he gets captured and Jensen puts the arc reactor, puts the, the magnet in his chest. Mm-hmm. He is actually saved in Afghanistan or wherever it was from that near fatal explosion by Eric Killmonger. Oh, okay. And the That's scene right. I see shows Tony and Killmonger walking off in the deserts together, which makes me wonder, don't change the Killmonger character a lot. Still will make him want to make weapons to put in all the third world countries so they can rebel. And But he convinces Tony to see his point of view, too. And Tony starts developing tech for Killmonger. So instead of going, instead of going to, to Wakanda and trying to usurp the throne of T'Challa and use the vibranium in Wakanda to create weapons to arm the whole world, he just convinces Tony to be the one that does it. That's how I yeah. think they're going to go with that yeah. one. Yeah. And especially since the whole idea, the original Captain America shield w- was an amalgam of, or an alloy, I guess, of uh, vibranium and adamantium. So mm-hmm. Tony very, possibly could already be familiar with vibranium and what it does because his dad helped build the shield. Yep. But I think that's how they're going to go with that one. So it definitely keeps Killmonger a villain for sure, but it makes Tony a villain who they kind of already made Tony somewhat of a villain based on the the Civil War storyline. He gets the redemption, of course, at the end, but that's also an interesting way you and I have talked about with this creation of a multiverse to bring Killmonger back since there seems to be lack of, of villains for Black Panther now in his movies. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It would make sense. Episode seven, 
listed as zombies. I had heard somewhere else that it was going to be Winter Soldier versus zombies, which would be, you know, definitely interesting in my book. I think it's going to be just a story. Have you not read the the Marvel zombie alternate sto- storyline? I, I know they exist. I haven't really read the the individual stories, but I know it it, it it's again another world or another Earth essentially where right. all the heroes. I mean, are what happened? Yeah, where all where a zombie infection breaks out and. Very few of the empowered villains and heroes are not infected. Some of the few that aren't infected are like Reed, T'Challa, Magneto. And unfortunately, Reed in trying to prevent them opens up a portal to the, the negative zone and these zombies get out to other Earths in, oh, okay. the, the, uh, in the multiverse. They would usually be like four or five is- issues. And the, so there have been like four of them, I think. There's one that's a crossover where Ash fights him from Evil Dead. And think about this. There's one where Silver Surfer tries to stop him. They, all of them, like Zombie Spidey, Zombie Wolverine, zombie, all just pounce on Silver Surfer, turn him into a zombie, and it ends with all of them attacking Galactus and them zombifying Galactus. <laughs> yeah, that's not would good. Galactus eat? Well, that's not good. Right, <laughs> so, right. And T'Challa, if I remember right, actually winds up losing the lower half of his right leg because he gets bit, but he chops off his leg at the knee before the infection takes him. Oh, okay. So T'Challa's walking around the bulk of that story on a cane with like a a prosthetic leg from the knee down, and he's carrying around in a jar the head of a zombified Janet Van Dyne, the original Wasp, Mm. who he goes to to Eric, to Magneto, saying, you got to help me. This is my friend, you know? Right. So I'm a horror guy, so I love zombies. I think there's, they're just going to adapt one of those stories is what I bet. Yeah, that makes sense. Another one that looks to be adapted, Tony Stark in Sakaar, which, of course, is nice. where Thor went in Thor Ragnarok. So it looks like it, it's just going to be Tony in place of the Thor in that role. So it would be Tony basically battling Hulk on Sakaar and essentially probably eventually bringing about Ragnarok. Or maybe it's the other way around. Maybe Tony's the champion and Thor's the still shows up, but... Or it could be, well, maybe, maybe Tony winds up there somehow and then Hulk shows up. Right. Yeah. Something like that as well. The last episode listed, episode nine, it just listed as Ultron, Vision, Infinity Stones, and Guardians of the Multiverse. So I'm assuming that would mean something like Guardians of the Galaxy, but they're guarding all of the multiverse. The only thing I know about this is, and this is put, again, putting two and two together. Josh Brolin has recorded lines as Thanos. So it makes sense that this would be the one that he's in. Mm. Are Paul Bettany and, and James Spader returning as Ultron and Vision? Uh, I, I hope so. I'd imagine Paul Bettany, since he did uh, WandaVision, would be fine. James Spader, mm, well, I, who, who knows? If it's not him, I'm, I'm sure James they could get Spader, a voice actor. I'm very happy with James Spader's voice from Ultron. I'm down with oh, that yeah. if he wants to come back. Yeah, 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 absolutely. So that does it for the episodes that we know of. I don't know if there's only going to be nine episodes or if there's going to be additional ones. I would imagine since it's animated, they could probably kick out a few more episodes than just the I was, kind of I six I thought I had heard at, at one point there was going to be 10 or 13, maybe. That, that, that would seem right. They, they did do, I want to say, 15 or 16 episodes of Bad Batch for the Star Wars animated series. And there, there'd only been, what, right. like, like six or eight episodes of Mandalorian. And I, I, right. I'll do I'll do Bad Batch review in another episode because I know you hadn't seen it, so I'd I'd just basically be boring you by <laughs> talking for <laughs> <laughs> talking about stormtroopers for for fifteen minutes or so. But seeing what we have in store and what we think we might have in store, this definitely looks like it's going to be a very fun 
series, especially since we're being told that some of these are going to play out in future Phase 4 movies. So is there anything else you wanted to add about What If or anything else we've talked about? I'm looking forward to it. Obviously, you've got to do something a little different because we've had the three live action now. Mm-hmm. But I, I, I'm looking forward to seeing where this goes, personally. Yeah, and, and it's one that they could easily do additional seasons on because there's been 20-some movies and they're doing nine spinoffs, so to speak. Yep, yeah. totally agree. All right, well, that's going to wind up this episode of Geekville Radio. We are available on all the podcatchers around. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, you name it, iHeartRadio. Just do a search for Geek for Radio. You can find us as well as all of our sister podcasts like Lesser Known Geek Hall of Fame, like Nostalgia Trip, Examining the Dead, Examining the Doctor, and Trained. If anybody wants to find you and talk about comic books or zombies or anything else, where can they find you? I am always available on Twitter at CrazyTrain underscore JB, which I don't use a lot of other social media platforms, but if I do, do a search that my handle pretty much across all of them. So... All right, that's going to do it for this episode of Geekville Radio. Thanks, you folks, for listening, and we'll talk to you again shortly. Geekville Radio is not sponsored or endorsed by any product or company unless specifically stated. The views expressed by the hosts and or guests are purely their own and do not represent the views of geekvilleradio.com, a1-wrestling.com, or any affiliates. Some media used on Geekville Radio is the respective copyright of its publishers, all rights reserved.